This episode of Truth Table is brought to you by InterVarsity Press, whose vision is to catalyze redemption, restoration, and revival in our divided and broken world. Follow IVP on Twitter at IVPress and visit IVP's website at www.ivpress.com. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? I am doing, <laughs> as I typically say. <laughs> I, you know, I'm doing actually really well. You know, I, I just took a trip. You know all about it. I went back and visited my people in Maryland, you know, my Ooh. one of my favorite states. Yeah. And I uh, got to see my grandma and my mom and dad and my sister and my niece. So, you know, I really have missed my family, um, yes. especially during this kind of this extended COVID season. So it was just so good to to be able to see their faces. And I got to go shopping with you. We went to one of our favorite stores that we will that we will leave nameless on the purpose of this podcast, <laughs> but we are serious about shopping for those deals at that store. But how are you doing, E? Yes, we are serious. Uh, but I'm good. I'm good. I'm still um, um, uh, on my cloud nine from seeing you uh, in Baltimore. <laughs> it, was, it was a time, okay? And we <laughs> ate some good food, too. It we was crazy. We did. We did. And you know, that was the first time, y'all, that I was in a restaurant since February 2020. I was not playing, Okay. <laughs> I took this quarantine seriously. Yes. So it was good. It was good to you see you. You are a very serious woman. <laughs> I am very intense in every way. And so, <laughs> so it was good. It was good to see you. It was good to eat. It was good to shop till we dropped. It was good to um, hang out with your mom and your family. <laughs> good, good. We had a funky good time as the old folks. Yes, we did. Yes, so, we did. <laughs> well, y'all, you know, Emma's not at the table. So that means we have an interview. And not just any old Yes, we do. We have yeah. a new book behind the book episode. Because we reading these books, y'all. We and I'm going to tell books. you what. And the sisters are writing these books. And they are writing Words these books. Words and thoughts. Hello. And I'm getting convicted with every word I'm writing. I'm like, I should be writing. And I ain't written nothing <laughs> yet. So, <laughs> but anyway, y'all. We, right. we, you know, the, the Lord's going to help us. The Lord's going to help us. We have a behind the book <laughs> So y'all, and it's not just any old behind the book episode. We have a behind the book episode entitled "Woman Evolve" by Sarah Jake Roberts. She is at the table with us. Welcome to the table, Sarah. How you doing, sis? I'm doing okay. I'm a little envious that I didn't get to go to the store that we're not naming because I want I want the deals. I don't. I feel like I'm missing something. We we will share all the things. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> we will share all the things off the mic. Yes, yes. Because that said store is not sponsoring this two shows. Listen, I understand the language you speak because I don't be saying stuff on my podcast because you haven't. No, it's not happening yet. Okay, I get it. <laughs> you understand. You understand. I get it. Um, y'all, just in case you do not know who Sarah Jakes Roberts is, 
Let me tell you a little something about this sister, okay? Sarah Jakes Roberts is a businesswoman, best-selling author, and media personality who expertly balances career, ministry, and family. She has been the driving force behind grassroots marketing for films, publications, and community programs that inspire and uplift people of all ages and backgrounds. Sarah is the daughter of Bishop T.D. Jakes and Mrs. Sarita Jakes and pastors a dynamic community of artists and professionals in Hollywood alongside her husband, Tore Roberts. Together, they have six beautiful children and reside in Los Angeles. Welcome to the table, Sarah. We are glad to have you. you. Thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here. here. Well, and she also looks fabulous in red. Let me tell you. Yes. Yes. If if, if you're going to do it, do it. Okay. If you're going to do it, do it right. That's the pandemic shoot, too. We had to figure that thing out during the pandemic. And that is, it doesn't look like it, but that is a struggle photo shoot right there. (laughs) Yes. Well, you look fantastic on the cover. Yes. I think it looks so great. My goodness. So, y'all, Woman Evolved by Sarah Jakes Roberts. Break up with your fear and revolutionize your life. So before we even dive into it, and we're going to dive into it because the sisters know, the sisters know we be getting into the book. Um, <laughs> but, but I wanted to ask you, if you don't mind, talking to our sisters at the table about your faith journey. I think there's a sense in which when you're a PK, there's sometimes there's this assumption that you was born saved, but we know that ain't the case. <laughs> Can you or, talk? Or, or, or just the opposite. There's oh, a negative yes, assumption yes, and yes, burden, yes. right? So we, we just, yeah, we just love to hear your story yeah. in your own words. Yeah. You know, I will tell you, I have four siblings. And so growing up in the PK family, yes. you know, I think we all had our own journeys. For my sister, faith came more naturally. It was something that was easy for her. For me, it wasn't so easy. I didn't really understand it all. Right. And so when I was growing up, I think, I don't know if it's still like this, probably in some communities it is, but it's like, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. If you don't like this Oregon, you're not saved. Like there was this very stereotypical idea of what it meant to be a Christian. And I was raised in the nineties. I liked hip hop, you know, like I didn't understand how I could be myself and have faith in my life. And so it was really difficult. That was even heightened after I got pregnant. I got pregnant as a teenager. I was 13 years old. Once again, didn't really fit in, didn't really feel like there was any need for me to try to fit in. And so I had sex at an early age. I got Mm -hmm. pregnant. I had my son, which even made me feel even more disconnected from God and faith. And I probably spent 10 years now. There were moments where I was still going to church sometimes when I wasn't going to church. But it didn't feel real to me until I was at what I call like my my lowest point. Mm. And faith was really more like a last resort. I was kind of like, you know what? God, if you're there, God, if you really do love us, God, if you really do restore, if you really do redeem, here I am. Mm. Here I am. And I started pursuing this, you know, idea of what I thought being in relationship with God would look like and in the process of that pursuit has so many incredible, undeniable God encounters that I knew that it was real and that it was real for me. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I think, um, you know, we have listeners who are, are, it's a really wide age range <laughs> of listeners. Yes. So, so, and a lot, so we, so we have, we have mothers and grandmothers and we have 
uh, possibly their so-called prodigal daughter also listening <laughs> at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just grateful to hear your testimony of um, just just God's attentiveness on you and God's um, yeah. God's you know calling to draw you to Himself. Mm-hmm. And even if it's in the conditions of absolute rock bottom, it's like I got nothing else. Let me give this a try, <laughs> right? Yeah, God is so gracious and, mm-hmm. and, and loving mm-hmm. and humble that condescends even as our last resort, even yeah. though he should be first place in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so that testimony is absolutely beautiful. And I think it will meet people exactly where we need to be met. You, so you've decided to write this book and you have written this book that uh, surrounds, uh, really features Eve and Eve is indeed a, um, a, a complicated uh, woman throughout history. Um, uh, people have talked about Eve in all kinds of ways, right? And so um, I really appreciate your boldness in saying, like, let, let, let me lift up the story of Eve. And I, I even resonate that um, a bit at, with a bit as a Black woman, yeah. um, that we often have stories that are maligned or misunderstood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what resonated with me. But tell me about why you decided to write this book and center it on the story of Eve. Well, like to your point, you know, I grew up saying even when I wasn't all saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, like when I get to heaven, as if I knew I was going, I used to be like, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have it out with Eve because she ruined it for us all. Mm -hmm. And I think that when I really began my journey of, you know, God drawing me in, that I felt so much humility in my own journey that it robbed me of the ability to judge anyone else's journey down to Eve. Eve is, her name literally means the mother of all living. And I think that we have to consider what does it mean when the mother of all living is the most persecuted woman in the Bible? What does that communicate to us about womanhood? What does that communicate to us about the human inclination towards sin Mm -hmm. and how we are going to have moments like Eve had in the garden where we know better, but don't do better? How do we reconcile that? Mm -hmm. And I feel like especially for Christians, like this moment in the garden is what paves the way for Jesus. And so to throw Eve away is to also rob us of what leads to restoration and redemption in our faith. And so I was just on this mission of understanding her life better in hopes of helping other people who know better but don't don't always do better, myself included, understand how we can really get control of that weakness, of those moments where we don't activate what we know and become the person that God blessed and said, be fruitful and multiply and have dominion. How do I do that when I feel so unworthy because of what I've gone through? And for me, I feel like Woman Evolve is that manual to help women get unstuck from those moments. Mm, getting unstuck from those moments. You know, um, Sarah, I'm curious about, um, you know, since you do- dove into Eve's story, well, at first you had beef with Eve, right? Yeah. Which I guess in some ways, you know, varying degrees, we've all, we've all been there to some degree, right? <laughs> um, I'm curious about, um, about what you learned about yourself um, as you uh, begin to just dig into the life of Eve, um, what were the moments that that um, caused you to shift your perspective on Eve so, to turn from maybe judgment to wonder and, and and turning from maybe wrath to grace right toward her so that when you go to glory maybe you'll hug on the sister instead of you know, <laughs> knocking her out now now knock of your buck up in here so, right? so what 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 were some moments where you're like oh there's a shift happening 
you know, for me. And yeah, I'm curious about if you can talk to us about that. Sure. Okay. So there are two. The first one was when I just went back and studied her story because I was at this conference and they had on all of these hero women of faith, Sarah, Mary, Ruth, Esther. And I was like, you know, I know why they don't have Eve on the shirt. God convicted me. I go back to my Bible. I start studying Eve's life because I'm like, let me understand what it was like to be her. Mm. And the first thing that really stood out in my mind is that when she explains to God what happened to her, She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The serpent deceived me and I ate. And that shook me to my core. So simple. Mm -hmm. I never really thought about that stage because all we talk about is her eating from the fruit. But she doesn't just eat from the fruit. That word deceived in the Hebrew means seduction. There was a seduction of her mind, which means that we don't just change our Mm -hmm. patterns. We don't just change what we believe we should be able to consume, whether it's a relationship that is a part of our consumption or the way that we handle our bodies. There's a deception there. And that deception is not something that happens overnight. It is a seduction. We slowly, gravitationally become someone who starts leaning into this version of ourselves that isn't always healthy. And so that was one of the moments that really helped me because I couldn't get over the fact, like, how did I get pregnant at 13? That was the fruit of what I did. That was the fruit of it. And people would tell me I was smart after I got pregnant. I was like, smart girls don't get pregnant at 13. I didn't understand how I had worth and value in spite of this moment. But I realized that I didn't just wake up and say, I want to be pregnant. That that wasn't a part of the plan and goal of my life. But there was this deception of not fitting in, of wanting to be understood, of doing whatever it took to be validated. That was a slow seduction of my mind. And then I started knowing better and not doing better. And I feel like that moment was so pivotal to me because it allowed me to have empathy for myself. That is what allowed me to have self-forgiveness. That was allowed me to stop penalizing myself and start embracing myself because I didn't just end up there. There was a line of things that happened before that fruit came um, into my life. Mm. Wow. You know, that is so thoughtful and helpful to hear you say that there is this deep connection between our our level of self-compassion and our ability to give compassion to others. Right. And so mm-hmm. when we're called to love our neighbor as ourself, it assumes that we can love ourselves. <laughs> right. And so in unlocking Eve's story and understanding that t- that temptation, that seduction, how that got her allowed you to give yourself grace as well. And I think that is just so important for us to to just marinate on a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, So really helpful and showing us kind of why you were drawn to, to Eve, to highlight her story. What were some of the things that you had heard about Eve growing up or within your kind of theological or church Mm -hmm. circles, right? What Mm -hmm. that would have informed uh, your thinking about Eve? Oh my goodness. Uh, So, so much, even as I started studying about Eve, so in church, you know, I think it's basically like Eve made a mistake. She she ruined it for humanity. I mean, Adam ate from the fruit too. We don't really dig into Adam's role at all. Everything okay. kind of centers around what Eve did, much like the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Mm-hmm. It all centers around the woman. And I really do feel like, especially in our Western civilization, that 
proclaims Christianity, that so much that we see about women really draws back to this moment of Eve in the garden. When we look at women politically and the rights that they can and cannot have, when we look right. at how they've been treated in church and where they can and cannot sit, so much about the woman's place in society and culture really stems from what took place in this garden, this <laughs> this distrust with Eve. And so, uh, you know, when I think about what I've heard about Eve, I, I think it's less about what I heard and more about what I experienced as a woman as a result of what took place in the garden and what I see continue to be reverberated throughout our religion, political and social uh, cultures and world. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you said a whole lot and it's just true. Yeah. Um, my, I, even the ways that we, uh, you know, we, we put it on Eve when it's like, well, actually it was Adam, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, if this is where y'all want to live at, like, you know, I just, so that's why I appreciate that you're, um, you're taking on her narrative and trying to um, help women uh, to begin to uh, discover the ways that they can, uh, that, that there's re- redemption for them right? That there's restoration uh, for them, that there's grace for them, uh, that there's compassion for them. And that, but that there's also wisdom available, right? (laughs) And that there's discernment available to them. So when they are tempted, they can think, you know, or they can know um, better. Can you talk to us about the differences? You talk about this in your book, the differences between thinking and 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 knowing better what what are the differences what are the nuances why should we care about the differences <laughs> <laughs> you you know, I think one of the best examples of thinking versus knowing, it comes down to like when you're like, you know what, I need to take care of my body. Mm-hmm. I need to stop doing the things that I'm doing. I need to eat well. I need to do better. When we think we need to do better, we like kind of be salad, but also treat ourselves with French fries all in the same day. But when we have reached our limit and we're like, I know that I know I have got to make a change. Nothing can shake us off of that. We're drinking right. smoothies. We're eating salads. Like we're doing whatever is necessary because we've gone from thinking to knowing and there are a lot of times even when I talk to people and maybe they're in a toxic relationship and they're like I I don't know whether or not I should leave well no you know you should leave but there's something that is keeping you from tapping into what you know let's dissect what that is and when we begin to dissect what that is, we understand that there are fears connected to it, fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear Mm. of being alone. And so our fears keep us from activating what we know. And so I think it's really important that we understand that you our soul knows, right? Like our soul, God has given us divine insight, divine wisdom. We are not without knowledge to how we should lead and live our lives. And yet we often rob our soul of what we know because our flesh, our uh, human desire to uh, be consoled and comforted often stands in the way. And so I wanted to really talk to women about how we allow our soul, our spirit to be led by God's truth, God's light, God's divine plan for us and what we have to overcome in order to do that. No, really helpful. Another piece that, you know, my background is in psychology. So I this this part jumped out to me. You you do some work on in your book about mm. just our emotions, right? And um, what we are to do with them when we are overwhelmed by them, when they are defining who we are and kind of the difference between, you make this distinction between how we can contain our thoughts and emotions and that being different than repressing 
our thoughts and emotions. And if you don't mind, I'd love to read this short paragraph where you talk about that. because that jumped out at me. Containing our thoughts and emotions is not the same as repressing them. Containing our emotions is an opportunity to have self-intimacy. Self-intimacy allows us to give God access to the most tender, frustrated, broken parts of ourselves. And if we don't acknowledge how what we see wounds us, then we can go to church every week, but never truly encounter God. So this idea of holding our emotions close as to not repress them but instead to have self-intimacy and then have intimacy with God, right? To actually see God show up. Where, where does this meet you personally? I, when, when I read that, I wondered, I was like, I wonder if Sarah got a personal story <laughs> about, about what it means to repress. No, I am, I am notorious for repressing my emotions. That's just, I mean, mm-hmm. okay, so I... I got pregnant at 13 years old, guys, like yeah. 13 years old. Mm-hmm. My daughter is 11, and I am just now realizing how young I was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I felt mm-hmm. so many things that I could not afford to feel anything. So many things I'd never felt before. I just, I didn't want to feel anything. Um, watching my parents grieve, shame. Um, watching my life change. How do I introduce this into social circles when they're talking about prom? I'm worried about whether or not my kid, my parents will babysit my kids so I could go somewhere. Like it just, it really did a number on me. Hmm. And I didn't know how to process those feelings and I didn't go to therapy. And so I spent a long time disconnected from myself and that is still like my default setting when I start feeling stuff I'm like I don't want to feel anything and Mm -hmm. so it does take work for me to say okay what is that that I'm feeling I literally have a feelings wheel and because my emotional vocabulary is so limited and so Mm -hmm. I break out my feelings wheel and that's great. I'll tell you, you know, uh, at some point during the book release I had this feeling and I couldn't identify it and it was happiness and then the the feelings were like breaks out into other feelings and it was like respected valued and excited that's how I felt I didn't know that's how I was feeling but when I felt that that was the first time that I had ever really acknowledged feeling respected and valued and loved and to treasure that for a moment, the girl who didn't feel like anything was respectable about her Mm. is standing in a moment where she feels those things. And so I would have never experienced the beauty of that moment if I wouldn't have done the work of, you know, ciphering through the the darker feelings, the darker emotions and allowing God's presence to to meet me there. I tell a story, I don't know how far you've gotten in the book, but even the part of, you know, I always knew to expect something like this out of you. I don't know if you've gotten to that part yet. If not, Mm -hmm. I'll share the story maybe offline. Please do share it. Okay, okay. Please do. Please. Okay. Okay. So when I first got pregnant, a very close friend of our family told uh, me when they heard the news that they always knew to expect something like this out of me. And I think that that too just kind of made me feel like I don't know what it is about me. Like I just didn't trust myself anymore because there was obviously something in me that other people could see that I wasn't aware of. And so um, 
fast forward probably 12 years later, I was planning, you know, my life has changed and shifted. I'm speaking and I was about to do this tour and I'm feeling like a 13 year old girl again about to Mm -hmm. go on tour. I'm like, you don't have anything to say to anybody. Like Mm -hmm. these people are coming out here, investing their resources. People are taking off of work to come and serve during this tour. And like, who are you? You're nothing. Like all of these are words that are coming to my mind. And I was in worship and I was like, God, I need you. I'm not capable. I can't do it. I don't have it. You chose the wrong girl. And mm-hmm. God just brought back to my memory, but this time it had his presence, his spirit, his essence on it. I always knew to expect something like this out of you. Mm-hmm. And those words that stung me so deeply as a child are now like literally the wind beneath my wings whenever I'm going into something that I'm not standing in a moment that God didn't know. Come on. That God didn't know was attached to my brokenness and to my pain. And um, allowing myself to feel that has been one of the greatest blessings of my life because it allows me to stand up in moments where I feel really small. Ooh, my goodness. What a story. What a testimony. Yeah about God's That's, compassion yeah. and love that he would heal you in that, in that way. And like what, what meant man meant for evil. God meant it for good. Like literally yeah. take the same words that cut you and God yeah. used those same words to, 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 um, as a bomb, like a bomb yeah. in Gilead, like, you know, that you needed right there in that moment. So you could get on, on that stage and do exactly what God had called you to do. Powerful, powerful story. Um, my goodness. It, that's like one of the few times that I can say, like, not, I won't say few times, but you know, you just have these moments where you're like instantly healed on the spot, no regression, oh. no going back. Like that was just one of those breakthrough moments for me. And whenever I hear those words, like I used to hear them and I would like feel small. And now I feel I, like God is with me. It's just, that's, that's my heart right there. Wow. Wow. Well, you know what? On that note, uh, let's take a quick commercial break to pay some bills and we will be right back at the table with Sarah Jakes Roberts. Y'all keep it locked. Don't go nowhere. (laughs) Now, y'all know here at Truth Table, we always, always express the importance of mental health and being in touch with our emotions, which is why uh, we are presenting to you, why do I feel like this? Understand your difficult emotions and find grace to move through by Dr. Peace Amadi. It's easy to get overwhelmed by all sorts of conflicting, difficult emotions. Worse yet, some well-meaning people invalidate our feelings and tell us to just cheer up and forget our worries. But rather than bypass the reality of our feelings, we need to enter into them and listen to what they are telling us. In her new book, Why Do I Feel Like This? Psychology professor and personal development coach, Dr. Peace Amadi helps us navigate the complexity of our emotions and live through them in healthy ways with insights from both psychology and scripture. This book offers you a clear plan to get your peace back and find your joy again. And don't we need a bucket of joy in 2021? Well, we are happy to give our Truth Table listeners a big old discount. You can save 30% on Why Do I Feel Like This when you order at ivypress.com using promo code TRUTH30. 
21. That's truth 21. When you order at ivpress.com, you will get 30% off of why do I feel like this? This offer expires on September 30th. So make sure you head to ivpress.com using promo code truth 21 to save 30% off of why do I feel like this? See, you know what I'm grateful for? Girl, what you grateful for? I am grateful for our Patreon supporters. Girl. Oh, for sure. For sure. We could not do the work of Truth Table without our Patreon supporters. Tell so the we, truth. We want to thank y'all because without your dollars, we wouldn't be able to pay our producers. Our now video editor, because y'all know you can get some video content from Truth Table now. We, we try to step it up. Hello, Patreon people. I mean, come on. And we couldn't pay our teachers that come and teach our um, Black Women Discipleship Group. So we want to thank y'all for being Patreon supporters. So many things we're able to do because you decided to partner with us. And we just want to thank you, thank you, thank you for rolling with us since the beginning. And invite you all that are listening at the table or standing room only to come on and participate in the work that we're doing by becoming a Patreon sponsor. Yes, for as little as $5 a month. That is less than Starbucks coffee. It's less than DoorDash. It's less than Uber Eats. Come on now. You can support. We know about these things personally. We know about these things. <laughs> COVID-19, COVID-19. Uh, we, we're speaking from a personal place. Yes, yes, yes. Testify. <laughs> so for as little as $5 a month, y'all can support the work of Truth's Table and just keep this table going. Sustain our work. This is a labor of love and we are so grateful to be at this table. So our standing room section folk, come on and support us. Our sisters at the table, come on. <laughs> Want to support our work at patreon.com slash truth table. And we are back at the table with Sarah Jakes Roberts. We are talking all things woman evolve. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, break up get with your fear red jacket. And revolutionize <laughs> your life. Hey, get yourself a red jacket. And Curly. red lippy. All right. Oh, so. <laughs> Even if you wear your mask, colors stay. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. Just do what do what brings you joy. Okay? Does it spark right. joy? Um, <laughs> you know, Sarah, you said so much. Um goodness mm. in that first half of the interview. Um, you know, there was there was a moment where you were talking about Eve in the garden and her um, being deceived, right? The seductiveness, mm. you know, um, of, uh, and you know how cunning the devil is, um, you know, and just talking about how she was seduced, right? So it was like, you just slowly enticed, you know, how many of us are slowly enticed, right? Into our sins and the temptations that are set before us. I'm curious, I want to flip this a little bit. And I want to ask you about what it means to be somebody who maybe struggled with their worthiness and struggled, struggled, struggled with their own self-assessment, self-esteem, right? Because of um, what you experience as a, a a teen mom or a, a being being pregnant at such a young age um, to being catapulted on um, a grand stage. You know, that's the, that's the way it's, well, that's the way it looks from the outside. And you could tell me how it feels to you, but like a, a, a being catapulted to a grand stage where you're, where you are a public figure. Some might classify you as a celebrity pastor. I don't know if you're okay with that title, but you can always push back and let us know. But how do you reconcile that? And what, are there any, how do you resist seduction, 
Um, how do you resist temptation? How do you re- resist um, deception um, that comes uh, and all the trappings that come with having a big platform and being known worldwide? Can you talk to our sisters about that? And um, yeah, what do you do? Let us know. How are you living, sis? <laughs> um, it's really, it's really crazy because you know things kind of shifted in my life, like overnight. You know, um, and it felt very early on that it was like bigger than just being like TD Jake's daughter because right. I have other siblings, and yet this is something that feels very unique and mm-hmm. different. And I was really afraid of it. Um, because I have struggled with like worth and value and then I don't always do things like traditionally and I just I didn't want to disappoint people I'm like I just want to mind my business and yet people were really connected to the story and so one of the things that I committed on committed to doing very early on was like just being who I am and where I am at any given moment. So I'm not going to act like I don't know lyrics to DMX songs. Like I'm not going to act like (laughs) I didn't hear some of Beyonce's album. And I'm not going to act like I'm not living in this world with the rest of you. Like I'm not going to do the holier than thou thing. That's not my jam. And then also, I'm not going to be so seduced by the applause of man that I start playing to what they want either, right? Because you end up, contorting yourself to fit the narrative of how people perceive you. And so to not just do things for likes or to not do things for popularity is really important. At the end of the day, I feel like my goal is to make sure that I am leading people back to Jesus. Like if you leave an experience that we've hosted and you're talking more about me than you're talking about the glory that fell in the room, then something went wrong, which means that my heart has to stay pure. And then when I see these candles, let's talk about it. I mean, there are people in ministry and we see scandal after scandal after scandal and it's hurtful. And being a a person in ministry is often like dating someone who's been cheated on so many times that they're learning to trust again because Mm -hmm. we have seen so many people's trust been abused and their hearts and spirits been abused by people in spiritual authority. Mm -hmm. And so when I see these scandals, my husband and I both have this rule that we never sit back and we say, oh, I would never let that happen to me. What we say instead is how could something like that happen to me? Where are the blind spots in my life that I may not recognize that are rooms and areas where I could fall into the very same thing that people are judging today? And how do I build a defense against it? So it does require intentional humility. I try to be transparent. Like I could be slaying one day on Instagram and my makeup and wig be sliding off the next day. And I try to show both both versions of that because I'm not trying to get you to invest in a picture like this. This is my, this, I'm a person at the Absolutely. end of the day and my pers- my humanity has to be on display too. Yes. Yes. Wow. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that. That 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 wig example reminded me of this uh, Instagram story that went viral about the woman's wig that blew off in the highway. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, keep, keep your wigs on tight, ladies. Let me say, I just went on vacation and I bought a headband wig. I won't show it. My my friend is here. I won't. I'm I'm good for sliding my wig off, but I had the headband wig on my head, but it's supposed to be pushed back. So when I got back from vacation, I had a tan, like oh. part of my head is light skin, like very light skin, like very light skin. I'm caramel, I'm caramel and chocolate uh. down here and I am like a 
right here at the top, but that's fine. That's fine. God loves us. <laughs> God got his ways of, hu- uh, of humbling us. Okay. Listen, <laughs> listen. Keep, keeping us very humble. I, as I'm as I'm listening to you, Sarah, I, what, let me tell you what keeps playing in my mind. And um, because because we we don't know you, so we're really grateful to, to connect with you and get to know you today. So all, so all we know is things about you at a distance, and oftentimes those things are are likely inaccurate and multiple persons removed. And so as you were talking about kind of your your struggles with your esteem and and seeing yourself and valuing yourself and what you've had to navigate through and the self talk that you've had to to give to yourself, the truth that God has says to you about who you are. I keep I keep thinking in my mind about uh, T D Jake's woman woman thou art loose <laughs> is what I keep thinking about in my mind, and I keep thinking about um, uh, Pastor Jake's uh, work that really centered on kind of from my vantage point kind of women's empowerment, and then I'm also thinking about you as a daughter being shaped, discipled, and growing up in that space. I'm thinking about how and sometimes the same thing that we're communicating that we think is landing super heavy, super hard on the people that are nearest to us. They may not be in, they may not be internalizing that same message um, at that particular moment, the way that we think that they are. And that could be kind of what we're known for. I think of your father as like being known for woman thou art loose, <laughs> right? As this, as this male pastor who was speaking about um, women's empowerment by the power of the spirit. Um, and, and, and I'm listening to you juxtapositioned with that at the same time. So that's that's like humbling to me, but also knowing that those seeds some in some kind of way were still planted in you. I am curious, I feel like I would be remiss to not ask you, what is it like being related to an internationally known pastor um, I know I know people who have have you know who are pastors' kids and their their father or mother is you know over a fairly small ministry and they are deeply burdened. They carry heavy weights. They they feel that they are letting people down. They feel like their life has been tracked for them. And as a former counselor, I worked with a lot of former PKs. Your father is like one of the top preachers living in the in the world, <laughs> and, and I don't say that easily lightly. The people who know me, what what is that like for you? It depends on what day it is, to be honest. Um, in many ways, because so my dad kind of stumbled into this mega church thing. Like mega churches weren't really a thing. <laughs> and so when we were in West Virginia, there were like 50 families connected to our church. It was very much so, I think, what many PKs experience at church every single day. Um, mom is in the choir. She's also the usher board. Grandmother's in charge of the pastoral anniversary committee. Like, you know, it was very homey and feely. When things shifted and we moved to Dallas, 1,500 people joined the first Sunday. Mm -hmm. And instantly it became like not a small family church anymore, which is what we were all used to. And now we're all like trying to pick up the pieces to figure out like, how do we facilitate Mm -hmm. this many people coming? And we do need a big building. It's not like we got a mega church because there weren't people coming. It was a a lot of people coming and they needed somewhere to sit because my dad was running like five services on a weekend. His feet would be bleeding after church. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so we grew according to what was happening in his life. And so there were some moments where it was very much so like just 
dad who can't really help you with homework, but is trying anyway and taking food off mm-hmm. of your plate. Mm-hmm. And then moments where there are like 80,000 women in the Georgia Dome and a million people in Africa. And you kind of yeah. realize like, this is not like the fact that this is the same person is something that I need to wrap my mind around. Uh, we did have a lot of pressures. Like I think every PK does. Um, but I am grateful that the ministry did not accelerate at the same time as social media because I think I would have had a more traumatizing experience. Yeah, social yeah. media is still relatively new. So like no one knew about my pregnancy until I started speaking about it. It wasn't something that ended up on the shade room. So I feel like God was gracious to us and that we were under spotlight, but it wasn't as intense as it could have been given the right. world we live in now. Right. Wow. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Social media adds a whole nother, that's a whole nother beast and a whole nother um, layer to that. You know, um, speaking of which, of your transition, your church's transition from West Virginia to Dallas um, growing up, I actually wanted to read an excerpt of your book. It's from um, chapter two, No Better, and the sisters at the table already know this is my custom. I got to read the sister's words back to her and have her tell us about this. So this is, um, yeah, chapter two, the No Better chapter. And um, I, I just thought that this... Um, vignette was just so interesting. I love, I'm going to read it. And I'd love for you to unpack it and talk to us about, about it. And it begins here. It's on page 29. When I was seven years old, my father, a pastor felt led to move our church from West Virginia to Texas. There were many striking differences between Dallas, Texas and Charleston, West Virginia. But the one that stands out most in my mid 25 plus years later occurred on our first Sunday in Dallas. Every Sunday in West Virginia, we sat with my mom. When we moved to Dallas, our seating arrangement changed. My parents sat on the platform behind the pulpit with the other pastors while my siblings and I sat with the congregation. Our church in West Virginia was a family church where everyone knew one another. Our first Sunday in Dallas, we had 1,500 visitors. I can still remember the sense of rejection, loneliness, and isolation I felt without my mom in the room full of people. When I look back at that moment as an adult, I don't see it as a big deal, but the mere fact that I remember it vividly is a sign that it affected me in a deep way. Sometimes we look at moments in our history as a small, inconsequential, I'm small and inconsequential compared to the things other people face. But when something wounds you, it doesn't matter where whether it would have wounded someone else. It's not wise to compare or minimize our pain because it doesn't feel significant compared to that of others. When we do this, we run the risk of not recognizing the moment that destabilized our confidence and identity. Uh, can you just talk to us about what it meant, right? To, to That shift meant for you, the rejection, the loneliness. Can you unpack that um, for us? Sure. So I was eight when we moved to Dallas mm. and you know, when I look, when I thought about that moment in my mind, it really didn't seem like a big deal, but it was the first time that I can remember feeling intense feelings like, okay, I don't fit here. Things have changed. I wish I had my mom beside me. Who are these people? People cared more about who we were than we cared about who we were. They're like, are you his daughter? Are you, you know what I mean? So it was right. like, it was really awkward and interesting. And I realized that that feeling was really the seed of what would ultimately lead me to having sex and ended up pregnant. And then mm. did that feeling of do I fit here and where do I belong? Can someone make me feel better mm. is all that I wanted in that moment. And all that I looked for for, gosh, almost 15 years 
is can someone make me feel better? And I feel like those moments that stick out in our mind, because a lot of times we ask people like, what's what's your favorite thing to do as a kid? And we had to take a minute and think about it because we don't even remember what our childhood was like. But of all the childhood memories that I have lost, that one stood out in my mind. And I realized that that was really a seed that destabilized my identity and one that I was trying to recover from for for many years. Mm. Um, I have a friend and nothing's technically wrong with anyone, but I always say everything that's wrong with everyone started when they were a child. And I think that that was the first part (laughs) of what uh, traumatized me. It's just true. <laughs> it is true. Oh, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, well, I was four sure. years old. Sure. I was set, I was five years old. But that's when like our innocence is like Absolutely. completely shattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Our, our personality is being developed and shaped. It's it's so such a critical time, right? And yet, you know, we in Christ, we're born again. And you think about how important that is, you know, that we be born again. We get a new a new child experience because we, we need a new one. <laughs> we, we need a new experience. Right. And we need a do-over, definitely, definitely. You know, I was I was uh thinking about um, you know, really your book and this this idea of God's grace at work in women's lives, you're using the example of Eve, and how there are these nuggets of redemption and grace and transformation that are happening. And as you look at the culture, right, around you, near you, and as you think about this, the state of women today, um, women who are kind of in your own peer group, how, how would you describe you know, what, what is on their shoulders? What's burdening them? And what, what wisdom does this book provide? to help push them further into where God would have them to be and to become. I'll tell you one of the things that I feel like I am hearing more and more is just unfulfillment. I believe that women in our generation have a desire to be impactful, but they don't trust that they possess enough to actually have an impact. And one of the things that I appreciate about Woman Evolve, the book, is that when I was studying the book and we started talking about purpose, like I didn't make purpose this nebulous thing that one day it'll come Amazon Prime and then you pick it up and now you have fulfillment and now you have purpose, but rather how do I bring purpose into what I'm doing right now? So I don't just work at Target. I have an opportunity to be a light and to be kind in a world that can often feel very disconnected. I'm not just going to school. I'm creating a new normal for my family, like to really understand that every day that we wake up, we have the opportunity to bring bring purpose and intention to our lives. And I really feel like that's that's intentional about the book and important about the book, because if we are not intentional about how we show up in the world, then we will find ourselves subject to someone else's agenda. And there are so many agendas in the culture. There's so many agendas on social media, so many things that are vying for our attention, our resources, our hope, our energy, that if we aren't saying, listen, this is what I'm going to do with my corner of the world. And this is what I'm praying another woman does with her corner of the world. And together, I believe that we can bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Like that is our purpose is for heaven to touch earth through us. And so how do I wake up every day with that on my mind? Yeah, I mean, um, that's just so good. And I just I hope that the sisters at the table lay hold of that, you know, that that um your purpose and your calling doesn't start 
later. Like it's in you, right? God has prepared you already. Ephesians talks about how, you know, the the good works that God has already prepared for you. You like walk in it, walk into that target, right? <laughs> like you said, walk yeah. in that KFC, <laughs> walk in it at the nail shop, walk in it. In your vacant, in the pulpit, wherever you are, right? Be faithful. Um, it's it is in you already. That's so that's so good because I think there there is a sense in which you can go on this like the scavenger hunt, this never ending. Let me say, yeah. never ending scavenger hunt. Look, what's my purpose? Why am I here? You know, and that in and of itself is a distraction, right? And it's like no, continue to live into the passions that God's given you, and God will just begin to reveal those things, like it or not. God will set you on the path. It, it, it might not. It might not be pretty. Oftentimes, it ain't pretty, um, but it is worth it uh, in the end. Yeah. So, thank you, thank you for sharing that, um, Sarah. You know, I would I would love for you at this point to talk to our sisters at the table. Um, you could, you know, tell them whatever you want to leave them. What, you know what? Let me ask you this, and then I'm, I'm gonna kick it to you. What is one one thing if they can't retain nothing else from the book? What is one thing that you want the sisters to walk away with after reading Woman Evolve? Mm. My greatest prayer is that they walk away with the knowledge that the revolution is always closer than it appears. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the word revolution can feel very intimidating. It feels like we got to put a lot of work in and, and it feels like something that I just don't have time to do. And yet it is a lot easier than we think it is. It just requires so much humility and so much awareness that maybe we aren't accustomed to. But everything that you and God have seen for your family, for your identity, for your community, for your culture. Like I'm not talking about something that isn't aligned with God's will. I'm talking about what God has already purposed to do in the earth and what he has highlighted in your life as something that you can bring revolution to. It is easier and closer than it appears. Mm. And God has already, to your point, prepared you. You already have the knowledge. No, you may not have the degree, but you got the knowledge. Mm -hmm. You already have the tools and the resources and the connections. And, and just because it doesn't look like what you haven't seen doesn't mean that it is not available to you. You don't have to have seen it to know that God can do it. And so that's my prayer is that when they read this book, that they walk in the knowledge and confidence that I can do what God has placed in my heart to do and that it will outlast my time on earth. Come on. Yes, it will outlast my time on earth. I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Can you um go ahead? Well, you're already talking to the sisters. So why don't you go ahead and talk to the sisters? Let them know where they can follow you, where they can learn more about your work. Maybe they can sign up for a conference. I don't know, virtual, in person. I don't know. You, you talk to the sisters and tell them where they can buy your book. <laughs> Absolutely. A Woman Evolve is a movement. We've got a podcast. We do virtual events. We're working on courses. We got a book club. We've got all of the things um, and some of the things that could be helpful to you, depending on where you are on your journey to evolving and revolutionizing your life. The book is available anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Nobles, Indies, just request it and it should be available. And you can find me on the socials at Sarah Jakes Roberts. <laughs> All righty. Well, you know what, Sarah, we thank you so much for sitting at the table with us. It was a joy to have you. Truly, it was. 
want to thank you for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about this episode using the hashtag Truth Table. Black women, did y'all know that we have our own Black Women's Discipleship Group on Facebook? Make sure to follow Truth Table on Facebook and join our Facebook group today. Invite your homegirls too. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth Table or email us your thoughts at info at truthstable.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account now, so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me slash truthstable. Truth Table is made possible by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. We have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.